Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue in our series, 29, the book of Acts. Every one of us in this room has a story. And inside that story, no matter how old you are, even right now, there's twists and turns in that story. We believe that your story matters. It's more than just a, a catchphrase here at the cross. It really is a driving force of our DNA. Your story matters. And your story really becomes vibrant and alive when you surrender and surrender, uh, submit to the wardship of Christ in all areas of uh, your, your, your journey. It can, it, it can absolutely change everything about you. Some of the people in this room, like Michael, you go, man, I identify with his story. Uh, I was living in sin. I battled addiction. Uh, I was out there with alcohol, uh, with drugs, with, with porn addiction, whatever. And uh, I was out there wallowing in sin and stayed in sin for quite a while. But man, I got ambushed by the Holy Spirit. How God led you here three years ago, led you to certain guys, how you started going to recovery. And you go, I've got a story of radical transformation, man. God has rocked my world. And for some of you in this room, you would go, that's my story. For others in this room, you would say, uh, you know, I kind of grew up with decent morals. I, I had pretty good structure in my life. I even grew up being affiliated with church and some kind of faith uh, kind of stuff in my life early on. And, uh, but I came to the realization that I was lost and I was on my way to hell. I was separated and alienated from God and I needed redemption. And can I tell you, your story is one of radical transformation as well. And you've been saved for the glory of God. What makes a story powerful? And I want you to get this here. What makes a story powerful is not based on how much darkness you lived in. It's based on how much light you're walking in. And I think a lot of people confuse, if you will, that because maybe you grew up like Candace, her dad was a pastor and she's been affiliated with the church. And a lot of times people think, well, I just don't have that. I was riding with the hell's angels burning down orphanages and just strung out. You got to hear this guy's testimony. There was a guy that came to church here about five years ago. Never forget. And uh, he came for a few times and he goes, man, I'd like to sit down and talk to you. I said, I'll grab some time. And uh, I met him in my office and uh, we sat there and uh, he goes, well, wait until you hear my testimony. And I looked at him and I said, before you open your mouth, before you open your mouth, he said it with much pride and much ego. I said, before you open your mouth, if your sin and narrative and your journey features anything outside of sex, alcohol, and drugs, I'm open to hear it. But if you're going to parade how sexually active you were, how you drank like a guppy, and how you were high most of the time, your story is not here to parade sin. I had people tell me when I first got saved that the darker the night, the brighter the light. But what I came to realize was the brighter the light, the brighter the light. The darkness did not emphasize the radiance of the love of Jesus. 
So no matter who you are and what your marinade is, if you come to faith in Christ, you've got a radical transformation. The fact that a God would create you in his image and redeem you with his blood and desire to fill you with his Holy Spirit in presence, that's a radical story. And I want you to walk in it. And I want you to have the confidence and courage to share that story. Now, when you contemplate stories of life change, born again, saved, this radical transformation stuff, if you will, probably the most recognized and powerful story known to any of us is the story in Acts chapter 9. It is the conversion of Saul. Saul was a very popular name at that time. Saul was named after the first king of Israel. Uh, and, and so this guy has been a student of Gamaliel. He's studied, he's smart, he's bright, and he is lost. He, he's filled with pride, he's filled with anger, he's filled with hate. He is a madman on a mission to demolish the claims of Christ. And he gets saved. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, we read, Now Saul, Saul, now, he was there when Stephen was executed. He was there when Stephen was stoned. Now, even as you read that narrative there in Acts 7, he, he was a ringleader. He was a madman. He, he, he was rallying the troops together, if you will. It says, now Saul, still breathing threats and murder. Still breathing it still wants to annihilate anyone that associates and affiliates with Christ. Saul's still breathing threats and murder. Here's the phrase, against the disciples of the Lord. Who's he attacking? He's attacking those who claim allegiance to Christ. He asked for permission. If he found any belonging to the way, that's what they called them, the early uh, believers, those that were saved, they were a part of the way. He found... If he found any belonging to the way, men and women, he asked for permission that he might bring them bound back to Jerusalem. His heart was, what happened to Stephen needs to happen to all of them. They all need to die. He was traveling, approaching Damascus. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a loud voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I find that to be a very interesting phrase as I study scripture, as a student of scripture. He was basically saying, why are you so against me? Why, why are you trying to attack me? And people would say, well, based on the text, he's not attacking Jesus. He, he, he's, attack, he's attacking the church. But if you recall, the church belongs to Jesus, and Jesus calls the church his bride. And so what he's saying is, you're, attack, you're attacking my bride. You're attacking that which I love so deeply. And I can tell you, we live in a culture today where people claim to love Jesus, but they hate his bride. You can't love Jesus and hate his bride. You cannot love Jesus and hate his bride. That would be like you saying to me, Tim, we would love to have you over for dinner, but Barb can stay at home. I would look at you and say, that's insane. Uh, that, that, that's mad. Now, if you know Barb and I, you might 
be more apt to say, we want Barb to come over for dinner, and Tim, you can stay at home. And I would go, I understand that. She's gentle. She's kind. She is compassionate. She serves. She cooks, Elaine. She's, come on. But there's too many people that say, man, I love Jesus, but then they avoid the church. They attack the church. And I've heard this from even people that claim to be followers of Christ. Hey, man, were you fellowshipping? What community are you a part of? And they avoid it. Oh, I love Jesus, but I just don't have time for all that hypocrisy. Oh, 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 oh really? Well, you can go to church with a few or go to hell with a bunch of them. You're not going to avoid hypocrisy. It's all around us. But the truth is, if you love Christ, you're not going to avoid the church, his bride. You're not going to attack his bride. You're going to connect with others. You're, you're going to be a part of community. You're going to be in a small group. You're going to want to grow. And what we're talking about today, you'll go, I need to be a part of radical mentoring because that's a growth opportunity for me. But we live in a culture today that's taught us all you've got to do is just be a consumer. The church exists for you. You just go there and take. You find a place on Sunday uh, that will take care of you, that will minister to you, that will meet your needs. And you find a place just where you can sit and soak. Or, 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 or better yet, or better yet, we now have this paradigm shift somehow in Western culture evangelicalism that says you don't even have to go there. You can just chill at home, brew you some, brew you some coffee. You, all you got to do is just hit it online. Hey, the church exists for you. Services exist for you. Hey, hey you can date Jesus on Sunday, but you ain't got to walk with him the rest of the week. And I'm here to tell you that one night stand Christianity in our culture is not working, has not worked, and will not work. And we live in a culture today that applauds and promotes this one night Christianity stuff. And we're not committed. And we're not growing. So... Why are you persecuting me? Why, why, why do you want to come after me? Why are you doing this to me? Well, I, I got to get rid of you. And, 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 and Saul, like many people, even in the Bible Belt, we acknowledge God with our lips, but our hearts are far away from God. We know enough terminology and cliches that, that we can talk, but we don't walk. And Paul's favorite metaphor as he writes the epistles is, is walk. We walk by faith and not by sight. We're walking in the Spirit. It is a daily walk. And I invite many of you to step out of self-protection and to step in to a radical Surrender and allegiance to the Lord. Back to the text. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul asked, who are you, Lord? He identifies him as Lord, master, authority. Who are you, Lord? The voice replied, I'm Jesus. I am the risen Christ. I'm the one that's defeated death all in the grave. I'm, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. I'm the one you're trying to attack. I, 
I'm the one that you're trying to take down. You're trying to take down anybody affiliated with me. I'm the one. The men with Saul stood speechless. I'm sure we would, too. You get the biggest hellraiser, just dude out there that's just creating all kinds of havoc, and all of a sudden, the voice from heaven says, hey, man, why do you want to do that? What's your, what's your problem? What's your agenda? I'd be like, speechless. <laughs> right? For they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground. The Lord had knocked him down. He picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, the scripture said he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. Get the picture here. Saul, the attacker and the aggressor, is now kneeling before God. I think that's why Paul would later write, even in the book of Philippians, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's kneeling before God. You got my attention? The one who was capturing others is now captured by God. The one who was the ringleader is now being led by others. Look at the contrast when you read the text. The one who was mighty and powerful, Mama Kay, is now brought to his knees. His bloodthirsty eyes are blinded. And God got his attention. Stop. God got his attention. God will get your attention. Noah, Rachel, Caleb, Ethan, all the way in the back to all the way in the front, Andrew. God will get your attention. He may use adversity or sickness or suffering or heartache or betrayal or rejection when god wants to get your attention he will get your attention he is a jealous god he shares his glory with no one else he got my attention back in the mid 80s he got my attention and brought me to my knees and humbled me but for so many, you would say, I know God's been trying to get my attention, but the only time that I somewhat even listen to him is when I encounter pain and suffering and turmoil. And I've dealt with people and they cry out, hey man, I need help, I, I, I need prayer. But as soon as the storm passes, they throttle up and they keep doing their own thing. For some people, the only time that they even somewhat listen is when they're going through this heartache and this turmoil of suffering in their lives. And the thing that confuses me is people will oftentimes reach out and say, hey, pray for me. And I said, I got it. I am going to pray for you. But why would you want me to talk to a God to help you that you reject and ignore every day of your life? Why do you want me to talk to that God? When that God is available and that God is wooing you and that God is drawing you, I'm going to pray for you. But I'm going to pray that you would have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to you. 
God loves you, and he loves me, and he wants us, listen, 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 he wants us to desire him. So we have to stop and go, do I really have this personal relationship with Christ? Have have I really surrendered to the Lord? When God got my attention, did I give him my allegiance or did I just give him just a little bit of time? And God gets our attention so that we would give him our allegiance, so that we would run to him and, and press into him. And if God didn't love us, he wouldn't get our attention. He loves us. That's the reason it happens. And so God may be trying to get your attention today, but the question I think for each and every one of us is God is trying to get my attention. What will I do? Will I give him, will I give him everything that I have? Am I going to continue to run and am I going to continue to ignore and reject? What am I going to do? And so there's many things that God will use in our lives and some of you you've got a grocery list but I thought just a few things that God will use he will use oftentimes disruptions in our life to get our attention you've got a plan you've got an agenda you're pursuing your plan you've got your goals and and you're part of this chase and then BAM all hell breaks loose and you're knocked down and you've got health issues and relational issues and financial issues and there's a major disruption going on in your life what are you gonna do disruptions that's what's happening to Saul he is he's bent on going to attack these Christians to annihilate these Christians and BAM disrupted what are you gonna do maybe you're convinced that you can do whatever you want to do however you want to do it whenever you want to do it and you can call the shots and you can run your own life I used to think that way But reality is, if you get dead honest, you go, that's not working. My life is a complete disruption. I feel like there's one disaster after another that I'm dealing with right now. And if you get gut level honest, you would say it's because of my own disobedience. I'm experiencing all this chaos and all these disruptions in my life. And God is saying, you're going to listen to me? And so we talk about a God of second chances and third chances and tenth chances and God's faithful and he's, he's pursuing and wooing and saying, hey, you, you, you going to listen to me? You going to follow me? What are you going to do? I ask you that today. Is your life flooded with disruptions? Another thing that God uses is this whole feeling of just being restless. Man, I can't sleep. I can't rest. I'm flooded with anxiety. I'm flooded with worry. I'm I'm a miserable mess right now. I mean, I'm biting my nails and I I, I just lay there at night. My head's on the pillow and my mind is spinning in a thousand different directions. And I, I, I can't sleep. I can't rest, Tim. And God is trying to get your attention. But the world's gonna say, hey, hey, that that's cool. You can't sleep. You can't rest. Hey, just drink a little more. Just numb your pain. Just get on a few pills here and there. Hey, we've got something that will, that will help you. And you get into the cycle because you've listened to these inferior, twisted voices. And you go, man, I'm sleeping. I'm just slipping deeper and deeper into my pit. I've tried to numb. I've tried to medicate. 
I'm ignoring the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Something's got to give. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this thing right here. I come back from playing ball in 1984. I'd signed with the Astros, and I was gone for three months, and I fly back into Atlanta. And when my dad picks me up at the airport, my dad looks at me and says, son, I got to tell you something. My life has changed. My life has radically changed, son. I surrendered to Christ a couple months ago, and I got to tell you, Big Earl is a different dude right now. All his hell raising and partying and staying out to the wee hours of the night. You're going to have to clean up your act. What happened? When I left to go play ball that year in early June, he couldn't rest. He couldn't sleep. He would lay there. I remember mom took him to the ER. Something's wrong. He thought he was having a heart attack. This is my daddy. Man, I felt like... He would tell me on the phone when I would call, I felt like I was having a heart attack last night, son. I felt like I, I, felt like I was going to die, son. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, I was afraid I was going to bust hell wide open. My dad would tell me that, Richard. Son, I'm a changed man. Two months ago, I was in the pit. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't rest. I had no peace. I had no hope. I had no future. Son, I surrendered. I lay my head on the pillow at night now. I've got peace. I've got joy. Son, I'm all right now. I'm like, 42 years ago, 42 years old. It's been about 38 years and some change. So I'm pondering this about my daddy. You know a lot about daddy. And I've been pondering this over the last few days, like, this is the first time. 59 years old. It's the first time ever that I can pick up the phone and call him. I'm like, man, I can't call you today. But you're home and you're healed, and you're with the Father, and that disruption that took place in your life, Dad, when you were 42 years old, you gave God your attention. You gave him your allegiance, and it changed your narrative, Daddy. Can't call him upset about that, not sad about writing out last year on Father's Day. Lord, please come get my Daddy. My Daddy is wore out. He's tired. His body is shutting down. God took him to life for and I'm like, man. But I woke up this morning. I'm like, mm. can't make that call today. But I'm going to make this call and tell you thank you for saving that dude. And then it even changes it for me. Because then I'm able to tell my two boys, who now are dads, man, I love you. So proud of you. And that legacy the old dude started, man, when he got intercepted by the Holy Spirit. And brought that gospel to me, and I brought it to you. You guys are responsible men. 
your good husband, your incredible dads. I'm so proud of you, Benji. So proud of you, Jesse. Live it out. Here's another thought I was pondering. You may be experiencing disappointment. And I think we all go through this. God has not given you what you want when you want it. You've told God how to be God and he said no to a prayer. You told God what he should bless you with, what he should just drop on you. And he didn't come through. And you're like, disappointment. Sarah was so disappointed with God because God would not allow her to conceive that she told her man, Abraham, it ain't working. But I got a plan. Why don't you sleep with Hagar? And and we'll get a son that way. And Abraham listened to the wrong voice. He listened to Sarah, ends up having relations with Hagar and Ishmael is born. And that's where the nation of Islam comes from. And even the text says that Ishmael, he's a wild donkey. He's fleshly. He, he's out of control. It's like, so God didn't answer your prayer. And for a lot of us, listen to me, all of us have a little Sarah in us. When God doesn't give us the promotion that we want, when God doesn't allow us to make the team, when God doesn't give us the financial setup that we want, oftentimes we we get ahead of God. We get sidetracked from listening to God. And God goes, if you would stop and wait. You see, for many of us in this room, and I want you to hear me, If you would take that D in disappointment and replace it with an H, it would change your perspective. Because a lot of times what we go through is not disappointment, it is his appointment. And his appointed time of doing things can radically change us, Spencer. He goes, would you just stop? Would you slow down? Would you press into me? Would you lean into me? Would you wait? You're trying to get ahead of me. You're trying to do this life without me. And God will allow us to experience, if you will, disappointments because it's his appointment of saying, now stop. I, 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 I know you got the broke leg, but I've been telling you to sit down and stop. I'll never forget years and years ago when I was doing sports ministry, one of my really close friends in baseball, he had gone through cancer. And it had knocked him down. And he had to go in and have some stuff cut off of his throat. And then he ended up going through all this radiation. But when he got diagnosed with cancer, I'll never forget this. This dude was a major league player, having an incredible career. But I was sitting with him right after he got diagnosed. And he said, I knew God would make it clear when it was time for me to drop the game and walk away. I said, that's good. That's good. He goes through cancer, he goes through surgery, he goes through radiation, he starts training again, and he's like, man, I'm going back to the big leagues this year. The first game that he was playing in, this guy was the best bunner in baseball. 
The guy had an incredible career, but he could bunt and he could run. The first game back, he goes to bunt, and a ball, fastball hit him and blew his hand up. And he has to go back on the DL. He called me and he said, brother, can you believe that happened? And I said, I thought God told you to drop it. And he took it out of your hand. Drop it. God has a way of using these disappointments and disruptions and things in our life to say, stop it. I love you. I'm pursuing you. I want you to know me. Another thing I think God uses for, for us at times, and as hard as it is and as heartbreaking as it is, is tragedy. We get tragic news, man, your health is failing and something's not right. We get the, the phone call or somebody says, man, my loved one passed away and they were, they were too young. In, in the first service, there was a lady sitting here Two years ago, her 23-year-old daughter goes in for some heart valve work, and the little girl died. Beautiful. Was finishing up at the University of Georgia, and I'm like, she's dead. My in-laws, Jeff and Jamie, had to bury little Levi when he was four. And to their credit, I look at them and go, man, I can't imagine going through the tragedy, the pain, the sorrow. But instead of running from God, they ran to God. Remember, all hell breaks loose in Job's life. He loses family. He loses farm. He loses finances. Satan is trying to eat his lunch. And his wife even looked at him and said, why don't you just curse God and die? He goes, that's not going to happen. So instead of running from God and rebelling against God, he leans into the Lord. And when we go through tragedy, Richard, like your dad being killed in a car wreck, or there's so many stories in this room, God is saying, now come, come, I'm not a mean father. I promise you I'm good. You live in a fallen world where sin has disrupted humanity at every level. But I'm here and I want to walk with you right now through what you're going through. His appointment. Let him minister to you and woo you in. And like you were singing, I just want to tell people about my Jesus who is faithful and compassionate and graceful and good. I can tell you if unexplainable things are happening to you right now in your journey, the Lord may be trying to get your attention. Saul, Saul, I'm going to get your attention. You're about to lose sight. You, you, you're not going to be able to see. You, you, you don't have sight for today nor the future. I'm about to get your attention. And there's people in this room right here, right now, people watching online. If you've got gut level honest and someone asks, hey, what is your purpose for being on the planet? Why are you here? What sight and vision do you have to embrace today and live life to the full? What kind of sight do you have for the future? You would go, I'm blind. I'm blind. And so whether you've been blinded by the enemy or blinded by the lust of the flesh or blinded by whatever, the Lord is saying, hey, come to me. If you're weary and tired and broke down, I'm using whatever to get your attention. Now, come to me. The Lord got Saul's attention. This guy would repent. 
this guy would violently turn from all his sin, the violence that he was a part of, he would violently turn and pledge his allegiance to the Lord. When you study his life, he would become not just an antagonistic guy that was persecuting believers, he would become an apologist, the great apologist of the gospel, and he would become a proclamator of truth. He went from persecuting Christians to being a proclamator of truth. And Jesus made this statement to Paul. He made this statement to him in Acts 9 where he says, now listen to me. You are a chosen instrument of mine. And now because I've chosen you, life is going to be so easy for you. Mom, okay, I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer for my name's sake. I'm going to use you, but you're going to have adversity and affliction, and you're going to have all kinds of attack and persecution coming against you, but I'm going to use you. No, press into me. And God would raise this guy up to write the majority of, of the New Testament. What did you learn, Saul, soon to become Paul? I think this is something we should learn, that God's grace is greater than my past. God's grace is greater than my greatest heartache or failure. This guy would become an ambassador of grace because he embraced and wallowed in and experienced God's grace like nobody else. And when do we become useful? It's when we start to walk in the grace of God and allow God to heal us. The restoration, Drew, you look at a life and you go, he is totally changing me. Because God's grace is greater than your greatest failure or mistake. Cindy, God's grace is greater than your greatest failure or mistake. He's greater than. Jacob, that's it right there for us. He's greater than. And so I believe for so many in this room today, the Father, the ultimate Father, is saying, Come home. It's like softly and tenderly Jesus is calling. He's calling for you and for me. Come home. Just come home. You who are weary, just come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, oh, sinner. Come on. You've been running from me. You've neglected me, but I've got your attention. Come home. Just come home. Come home. Hey, I've messed it up. I don't have anywhere to go right now. Baby girl, come home. Just come home. Come on, come on home. Tara, when you were out in the world gangbanging crazy and you called your mama, Sheila answered the phone. 
She's like, come on, baby. Come home. And you came home. Then you came home. You came home to the Father. Come home.